What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that raid line! Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is going to do the same thing again year after year oh no hello everybody welcome back to reign of troy radio episode 396 coming to you on wednesday december 23rd it is festivus and it is a festivist miracle of an episode in which we're going to air our grievances about the usc football program and so much more, open up the mailbag and all of that. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, Omni, wherever you can get a podcast, we're there. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansire.com. And our phone number is 213-373-1USC. Second What's Burn Show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host. Alicia Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. I am back, much to the chagrin of everyone who uh, loves you and hates me. Well, A, everybody loves both of us together, and B, thank God, because I intros are hard, and uh, I am not, I am happy to hand that baton back over to you to take care of all of the admin stuff so that I don't have to. Well, I'll, I'll be glad to do it. We'll see how many times we have to pause this episode so that way I can start coughing or what, something like that. What if we didn't... Ex- I already feel like it's coming on. What if we did an experiment where we don't pause it and the the people just experience what it's like being in the in the Rot Studio with you and, and having to hear your uh, your lungs try to expel themselves from your body like just happened and the people aren't going to know when it happened? 
because there was a clever cut. But we did have to take a break, not only for you to cough, but for me. So that's where we're at <laughs> at Rain and right now. Yeah. The pleasures of getting over COVID-19. Yeah, which funnily enough, this week I feel significantly better. Uh, but I still have a little bit of a, a sore throat and cough that I suspect is it could be just as much allergies at this point. Uh, but they... They they have the same same effect. Well, it, it's been three weeks. Um, I still do not feel normal. Uh, I feel as close to normal as possible, without being like like I'm not going to sit here and say I declare myself fixed. That's clearly not the case. <laughs> I declared like, myself. My, my voice is not there. I declared myself fixed on Tuesday, and then Wednesday came around and said, "Nope." Yeah. So. <laughs> So, yeah. The, the point is, be safe, people, please. Yes. Please um, take this thing seriously. Um, it has not been fun, uh, particularly. Um, I, I know that you've not had a good time of it, and mine, I felt like, was my battle with it was significantly worse than you, yours. You had a very different battle than me, and your battle, I would not wish it upon myself. Yes. Yeah. So, anyways. We're back in the saddle. We'll see how many cuts we have to make, so that way we can quickly get to the cough button. Some podcast news, though, uh, besides just talking about us, um, we have our email back, randomtroyfansite.com. Oh, hey! Back online. You can send us emails there. Uh, we're super pumped about that. Uh, in this episode, we're going to look back at our over-unders, Um we have a tally for the UCLA game. We did not have an over-under for Oregon, unfortunately. Um, but we have tallied up the UCLA scores. We have tallied up the season prediction scores. We are ready to crown a champion. Um, I'm super excited to discuss uh, that kind of stuff. So look forward to that here later in this episode. Um, and the the offseason, obviously right around the corner here. Uh, or, heck, we're already in it. Um, I don't know what our off-season plan is. We are going to discuss that and probably get you guys some sort of an outline uh, as we get into the next week or so. Um, and start getting ready for things like more uh, Only Connect episodes. Oh, yeah. Uh, some trivia, some lookbacks, um, some Robots choices over on Patreon and so much more. So uh, look forward to that kind of stuff. Uh, probably not going to do a survey this year, just because I don't know what there is to survey people about. This year was so bizarre, so few, um, so few games. Um, our game coverage was really, you know, also impacted by the ability, uh, to be at games, uh, that was not there. We already went to one game this year. Uh, we were only able to, uh, in part because, you know, us getting COVID-19, um, that derailed us, uh, the, the number of games and all that kind of stuff, uh, all kind of made everything a, a little cocky woggle, as my mom would say. Well, that's a term I'd never heard before. Cocky woggle? Yeah, that's new. I like Wonky? it. Wonky? Yeah. yeah. That works. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get into the news, Alicia. There's a bunch of it, including why are we in the off season already? Because USC has opted out of uh, its both.
USC lost the Pac-12 championship game 31-24 to the Oregon Ducks on Friday night at the Coliseum. And it came out on Saturday uh, that the team and the program had announced that they will not be participating uh, in a bowl game this year. They're citing uh, COVID-19, injuries, uh, a bunch of other stuff uh, as reasons for not participating in the bowl game. It would have been the Alamo Bowl against Texas, which would have been a fun matchup, to to say the least. Uh, You know, a couple of Blue Bloods uh, who wish their season ended certainly differently. But uh, alas, no bowl game for USC. Um, Alicia, what are your thoughts? I I am kind of torn on this. My first reaction was that I don't blame them at all. Um, it's been a long season. I I don't blame them for wanting to go home to their families uh, to to just be able to sit back and 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 breathe um, this season to not have to go through testing every day and the the. This season has been has been so unique of a challenge physically and mentally. Like I don't I don't blame them at all for wanting it to just be over, especially when you hear like Clay Clay Elton talk about the mood of the team after the loss to to Oregon, um the the sort of the heartbreak in the locker room and all that kind of stuff. I get it. I I absolutely get it. Um, uh, on I mean on the other hand, obviously you want USC's players to feel motivated to play in a bowl game regardless of the of the importance of that bowl game um you you, you kind of want to be able to point to the competitive spirit of the team and all of that kind of stuff so like i would have loved to be able to give them credit for that but you can all i mean at a certain point you just run out of steam and i think it's clear that usc had run out of steam and then when you find out that um you know, uh, Helton confirmed this week that Keaton Slovis and Elijah Vera Tucker and Amon Ross St. Brown weren't going to be available on that bowl game anyways. USC was down to, you know, under 60 available players, all of that kind of stuff. The, I guess the, the constructiveness of playing in a bowl game, presumably the Alamo Bowl against Texas, uh, as intriguing as that would have been, I'm just... I can't muster up any real, like, I really wanted to see USC play in the Alamo Bowl against... I didn't. I didn't. I, in a vacuum, I think watching SC play Texas in in the Alamo Bowl could have been fun. So juicy with Todd Orlando yes. and right. and all of the storylines, USC and Texas over the years. On the other hand, it's 2020. This year has been a complete farce in every sense of it. Uh, this season has been not. This this is not a real college football season. We all know this. Who cares if they don't play in the bowl game? Like this, this bowl season is like there's teams with losing records playing in bowl games. Yeah, and, and it's not just five and seven teams who have to fill spots either. We're talking about like I think it's like what is it three, three and five, and, three and seven, three and seven Mississippi yeah. states playing in bowl. like the bowl games are an absolute joke this year. So I I don't think we can sit here and be like there's an indictment of SC's culture and character. Like no, 2020 is a, a, a complete anomaly. Um, if this was a different season, uh, and, and SC was taking the ball and going home, I I'd, I'd be. All there to listen to every single argument uh, 
about the team not showing uh, and then the program, you know, not showing some willingness to to play through some adversity and all that stuff. But this is 2020. Like people did not sign up for this season to go how it is uh, and how it went. Um, SC had a valiant chance to be Pac-12 champions. They didn't. They had a heartbreaking loss to Oregon. I completely get it. Like, and and not to mention, um, you know, our, our our Twitter replies, I find so interesting because on Friday, uh, during the bowl game, I mean, during the Pac-12 championship game, I feel like half the replies are like, just blow everything up. Um, don't want to see this team ever again. And then a day later, the same people are responding completely irate at the audacity of them not playing in a bowl game. (laughs) And I'm like, well, which one is it? Like, let's be real here. No one needs to see this team play again. Um, As as fun as they were at at times when you look at the UCLA game and the the end of the ASU game and all that stuff, uh, and as, as much as... As much joy as players like Talano Hufanga and Amon Ross St. Brown and and um, Eliza Vera Tucker, Marlon Tui Pelotu, all those guys can bring you, and you'd want to see them in, in Cardinal Gold forever. At, at that point, like, it's still 2020. This is not a real football season. Like, there's if there's one year to afford not going to a bowl game, this is it. Yeah, and, and I don't have any time for the conspiracy theories that Helton canceled it because he didn't want to get blown out and have that potentially lead to his firing. I can say with complete certainty right now that the result of that bowl game wasn't going to bear one way or another on whether or not Clay Helton's getting retained or fired. Like, again, the bowl season is a complete farce anyways, and you were going to be in a situation where half of the teams were going to be unavailable and or half of your roster was going to be unavailable anyways. No one was going to judge the outcome of that game for USC. So I'm not here for the idea that Helton rigged this or anything like that. No, certainly. No, that's that's a conspiracy theory uh, that I'm not willing to uh, acknowledge. But like the other thing that that I'm a little annoyed with is the people blaming SC for for Army. Uh, oh yeah, that was which is like blame the SEC for that because the SEC was was pigeonholing two and seven and three and seven teams into their bowl slots when you know USC backing out of of a bowl bid had the same impact as Washington backing out of a bowl bid and but, but not even that like SC isn't the only team that that didn't uh, take their bowl spot like, yeah Washington opted out. Uh, UCLA opted out. Stanford opted out. Like so many teams in the Pac-12 opted out. Like everyone but Colorado and Oregon opted out. Right. Literally. So like it was. It's I don't know. It it was an unfortunate situation for Army. Uh, I'm glad they finally got a bowl game. Um, at the end of the day, but like. But that wasn't USC's the, the, problem. The, the that was the bowl of problem. For, like people get upset and need to blame somebody. Yeah. It's it's like this. We won't blame anyone. Blame 2020. Yeah, like the year collectively. Well, come, like like I said, come on. blame the SEC for having two and seven and three and seven teams in bowl slots. Blame the bowl system but, but for allowing then, that to like, happen. Like, like what, that's dumb. If you're the SEC, why wouldn't you? Well, yeah, exactly. But the bowl system allows that to happen, so the bowl system is dumb. Right. Like, let's just all acknowledge that. So I don't know. I can't. Again, I can't get like I can't get revved up for a bowl. I wasn't going to be excited for it anyways. We weren't going to go to it anyways. 
Um, we, you know, it just, it, we all would have sat here and watched it and just been miserable. No matter the, USC could have gone into that bowl game and absolutely whipped the pants off of, of Texas and still no one would be satisfied. No one would, would be happy. So the outcome of a bowl game was never going to be positive. Like, it was just, yeah. Yeah. Nothing for it. Uh, speaking of things that are positive, uh, USC getting some honors, including Telano Ufanga is an All-American. He's going to be on the All-American wall. Uh, he picks up the honors from ESPN and CBS. As of as of the writing of this rundown, I don't know if he's added any more, but it, those are extremely well-deserved from Hafanga, and I'm very relieved that he's going to get All-American honors um, because he's absolutely deserved them. He's absolutely warranted them. He had an outstanding season, and mostly I'm just sad that, you know, Hafanga is going to go, probably go into the NFL, and he's going to be, I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not, I'm not making this comparison because I'm not trying to bring the comparison along that he's, he could be comparable, but he might be like the Anthony Munoz of USC's uh, DBs in that you just didn't get, like, you didn't get to see him because of injury and because of all of the circumstances, it's just a shame that we're probably going to see more of him in the NFL than we got to see at USC because his first two seasons ha- missed games because of injury. This third season, it's only halfway through the season, half of the season because of COVID, all of that kind of stuff. But at least he gets the All-American honors that he deserves. For sure. Uh, absolutely. Um, I thought he had a hell of a season, a hell of a year. Um, he was all over the place for SC and... That's what you want to see from Talanova Fanga. Absolutely. Um, he had a rough game in the Pac-12 championship game. Of course, it comes after. Just some big moments that went. Yeah, big moments <laughs> did not go his way. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, it comes after I had tweeted uh, that I was ready to have the uh, Talanova Fanga versus Troy Polamalu discussion, uh, which, by the way, is never going to be a fair fight because um, our how we look at at Troy Polamalu is so affected by the NFL, whether or not we want to believe that or not. So much of it is. Uh, I don't think it's humanly possible for us to completely forget Troy Polamalu, the stealer. Yeah. When comparing him to uh, Talanoa Hufanga, the Trojan. And so it's very different. Like I, I understand that. And I'm not saying that Troy, Troy Polamalu uh, and Talanoa Hufanga are equal or Hufanga's better. I just thought, you know, at some point, Hufanga put himself in that discussion to be in the same conversation. And and, and that alone, I thought, was a huge, a huge, you know, feather in the cap of Hufanga. Uh, and I think that if he would have had a Pac-12 championship game that would have gone his way a little bit uh, in the sense of if he catches that interception that's on his fingertips in the end zone. Uh, if he doesn't have the awful penalty, um, the 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 roughing the punter, uh, if he's able to make that tackle on the first drive, mm-hmm. he's able to absolutely make the difference in the game and win the game for SC. Um, and mind you, all of that happened on a night in which he still had a huge impact and still made a bunch of huge plays because that's who he is. He's a hell of a football player. Good on him to get on the All-American wall. There's been many a player that have not gotten their name there. Uh, Lendale White, Seward Cravens, Juju Smith-Schuster. We've talked about it forever. There's a bunch of guys that are not on that wall. Good for uh, Hufanga to get there. Yep. Like I said, I am relieved. Indeed. Uh, Other Pac-12 honors. 
Uh, Hufanga is the defensive player of the year in the Pac-12. No surprise. Uh, first team All-Pac-12 quarterback Keaton Slovis, wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, offensive lineman Elijah Vera Tucker, defensive lineman Marlon Chui-Polotu, and defensive back Talanoa Hufanga. On the second team, you got Drake London and uh, Tyler Vaughns at receiver, Drake Jackson at linebacker, and Chris Steele uh, at DB. A bunch of honor honorable mentions, including Nick Figueroa, Elijah Griffin, Ben Griffiths, Parker Lewis, Jalen McKenzie, Brett Nealon, uh, and Isaiah Polamau. Uh, Alicia, your thoughts on the All-Pac-12? Uh, I can't really argue with any of those first-teamers. Um, I think that uh, those are the, the five that you would have picked from USC. I do think that Keaton Slovis is still a worthy first-team quarterback for the uh, for the Pac-12, given the performances that he put in when it mattered most uh, at the end of, of most of USC's games. Uh, I think you could knock him for the performance against Oregon. It was definitely uh, not good enough. Who in the Pac-12 is better? Well, that's the thing is is I think Colorado's um, uh, noise was the the second teamer, and sure I think he had a good season but I'd still pick Keaton in in a moment in a flash so uh, I, I think that's fair the other guys I think there can be zero zero argument against uh, any of them maybe on the second team you're looking at you know Drake which of USC's three wide receivers deserved a first team slot I, I think I could make the argument for Drake London for sure but uh, I, I wouldn't you know you run out of spots eventually you can't all just have USC guys so uh, that's uh, yeah. I have no, I have no real complaints about um, about this uh, the the team. I'm trying to think of if anybody got snubbed from a mention. I know that Andrew Voorhees is on Pro Football Focus's second team, so they liked him. But I wouldn't have put any of USC's offensive linemen aside from AVT anywhere near these teams. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, I got I got no other uh, no other sort of arguments there all right uh alicia let's get to over under talking about the season long over under predictions that we made before the year so you're going over i'm feeling bold give me that over i'll go under i gotta take an under here i got three unders to take i'm gonna do an under here all right alicia this is the last over under segment of the season i'm really curious how you think that it's played out um we moved to a new format based on a robot who had emailed us named Jake, um, and where we are sort of the the house setting setting the lines and alternated back and forth. Uh, if if you set the the line and I say over, uh, then you take on the responsibility of the under that the house would have and and whatnot. How do you think this played out so far this year? I liked it. I liked it. Uh, I think it simplified our scoring in terms of like when I got my over under results unlocked each week. It was like, okay, well, I beat Michael this week because I was on the positive side of uh, of, of half of the questions, whatever it was. Um, so, yeah, I liked it that way. It's frustrating, though. It's frustrating because then you can end up in a situation where, you know, you're you're trying to set a line that's as close as possible, and you still can, you can get it nailed on, and still lose the point because you know just under or over by a tiny little bit. So that's the frustration of the game, but I think it simplifies it. I like it. Yeah, and we had fan participation for the first time uh, as a mass 
um, you know, sanctioned events. We had had uh, fan participation for a while. Uh, our, our friend Dave in Orange County had been awesome and putting together a um, a spreadsheet in which he would go around to meetups and literally pass his phone around and, and take people's email addresses so he could add them to the spreadsheet, uh, which is an endeavor that I like. I I can't imagine how much effort that takes. Eternally grateful to to Dave for yes. taking that on for as long as he did, and and for really giving us the onus to go ahead and put this together. Yeah. Uh, in in the end, it, it actually it sort of it was proof of concept. Yeah, it absolutely was a proof of concept for us to put together Google Forms um, and spreadsheets of our own uh, to put everything together uh, and get all the robots together. Um, and it was it was a blast. It, it was a good time. Uh, let's walk through the season long over unders before we crown our champion. Um, and I'm looking forward to to revealing uh, who has won the game. Uh, but here we go. Season long over unders. First one. You said over under 31 and a half rushes per game for the Trojans. Uh, they had averaged 30.08 last year, but you were a little more optimistic. Uh, that they were going to run the ball more this year. Well, was I though? Because I took the under. You well, I took well, the you over. took the over. That's I right. I took the over. That's right. Uh, I seventy-two point seven percent of listeners took the under, and it was under. FC averaged thirty point six seven rushes per game this season, which is more than last year, but less than you had hoped. Well, I mean, when I had set that line, that was because USC had spent so much time talking about how they wanted to run the ball more. And uh, so I gave them the benefit of knowing that they'd, they'd at least force a carry or two in. But when the when push came to shove, they weren't going to actually run the ball that much more. And that came to pass. And, you know, listeners will remember that a few weeks back, we came to the conclusion they should stop running the ball altogether. So <laughs> it was that kind of season. Yeah, I think they would have had more success. Um, maybe that number changes, but SC just had too many negative plays, way too many negative plays trying to run the football that I think it's completely justifiable to not run it as much as they would have liked. Um, mind you that I I think painted, um, Graham Harrell into a corner and and Clay Helton into a corner when they had to, to defend those decisions. Um, when they spent a couple of weeks talking about how, 170 yards was so important. Um, and then they got to the point where the running game just wasn't successful. Uh, the running backs were all dealing with nagly little injuries too. And it ended up being, you know, really difficult later on in the season. Um, my first over-under was over-under 18 and a half passing plays of 30-plus yards. SC had 30 last season, which was 2.3 per game. Um, well, I, th- I think this was an assumption that SC would play eight games. Yeah. They, they did not. Um, but 2.3 per game on six games, uh, is over 12. SC had 10. You said over, I took the, I ended up getting the under. It was way under 10. 75% of listeners took the over. So that just tells you how how positive people were feeling about the passing game going into the season, and it did not show up in terms of long passing plays. Well, I think you just figured that Keaton would take a step forward, and he had his receivers were all coming back, and 
if you were optimistic about the run game, if you were optimistic about the other things that were going on in this offense, that I think it made a lot of sense to assume that USC would be able to create some big plays. They have the players to create those big plays. Um, what we didn't anticipate was Keaton taking a step back uh, in a lot of different ways and and USC's offense as a whole just kind of stagnating. 100%. Uh, the, the offense I thought was as efficient in the passing game in a lot of areas, just not the same ones that they were last year. Uh, they weren't able to throw the, the ball downfield. I uh, had to settle for more like 10-yard gains rather than 20 and 30 yard games. And I think more defenses just decided like those are the only thing we're going to give you. Like right. yeah. more defenses followed the BYU model. It, it was a little bit of everything for sure. Um, and, and so that ends up being the under there. So uh, your next over under was over under five and a half sacks for Drake Jackson. Um, he had five and a half in 11 games last year. And you really thought he was going to ramp it up. Um, I took the under. 63.6% of listeners took the over. It was way under. He had two. He was tied for third on the team of the Tui Pelotu brothers. Both Marlon and Tuli Tuli Pelotu each had two. Uh, do you know who led the team in sacks? Nick Figueroa. Nick Figueroa, three and a half. Who had the second most? Hufanga. Hufanga with three. Yeah. And yep. Drake Jackson. It, it, helped, two. it helped that I just wrote about Hufanga. And his sack totals. There you go. <laughs> so I didn't do that one. Yeah. Uh, next one. I said over under 177.65 of a passing rating for Keaton Slovis. That was last year's passing passer rating plus 10 points. I thought this would be good money here. Uh, you took the over and I remember feeling so bad about it. So I'm like, that's good money right there. Uh-huh. Uh, 75% of listeners took the over. Mm-hmm. It was under, way under 144.13. He took a uh, 23 point step back uh, from, from last season. Yeah. But, but still, back 12, first team all quarterback. I mean, it's so hard to evaluate him because if you just, if it was just the last two minutes of the game, he'd be way up there, but uh, you don't get to do that. And, and, it was really frustrating watching him go through those, uh, have those problems where, you know, we're sitting there going like, is it a problem with his arm? Is it a mental problem? Is it a offensive system problem? What is it? And it just, it just never really got resolved. And it, it was a theme throughout the season that he d- didn't look as good as he had looked as a, uh, as a freshman, just, just not what you would have expected. Yeah. And when passer ready is so prevalent on yards per attempt which well, was down for SC it was going to you know certainly have an effect there yeah well inaccuracy and and interceptions and touchdowns and all of those things he wasn't that he he wasn't good enough in any of those areas either so uh, to make up for it he might have been able to make up for it if he had been super accurate but he he wasn't this year no uh certainly not uh as accurate as last season uh your next over-under was 6.9 penalties per game, which I thought was a nice over-under. Uh, SC had averaged 6.9 last season. Um, and I took the over. 61% of listeners took the over. It was slightly under at 6.7. What a damn good line it I set there. It was pretty strong. Oof. Yeah, barely, barely the under. 
And uh, it's not for lack of trying, certainly. Uh, I think USC had a couple games where they had five penalties in each of them, and I think that helped for sure bring that to bring that total down. But yeah, USC, I, I'm fairly certain ranked 12th in the Pac-12 again this year. So hmm. yeah, death taxes and SC getting called for penalties. Uh, the entirety of my life, even during the peak era. Oh, absolutely. Forever. Dude, I, I know I've told the story on the podcast before, but during the Pete Carroll era, I did an examination of USC's year-by-year penalty stats everywhere I could find them. And there on the message boards that I was on, there was constant talk of, is this, you know, there was that study that came out that referees are harsher on teams that wear red because red is a color that is associated with aggression. And it was like, well, maybe that explains why USC has so many penalties. It was constant talk. Yeah. Uh, which I don't want to get into it, but like this is why I always think that it's a little humorous to me when people cite penalties as the reason that this team is not winning games. I'm like, Mm-mm. I mean, Pete Carroll's team's had a million penalties. So here's the thing: go watch those games. Penalties are the reasons why a good team is not a great team. Sure, but a great team will not be sunk by their penalties because they won't be in the position for that one play. Like, if USC was a better team, they wouldn't have been in the position where Talano Hufanga's punt, uh, uh, roughing the punter penalty was so devastating. Penalties only matter if you put yourself on the edge, and better right. teams don't put them on the edge as often as USC does. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, if those penalties are taking points off the board, um, that's a problem. Uh, if those penalties are just slowing you down from putting points on the board... Uh, it's a different you story. should still be able to get over them. Yeah. Uh, my last over-under was over-under two and a half USC wide receivers who finished the season with 5.5 catches per game. Uh, and I remember explaining this uh, during our preseason episode that last year SC had three, Michael Pittman at 7.8, Amon Ra at 5.9, and Tyler Vaughn's at 5.5. And the only three players, or the only players all decade to have five and a half uh, were uh, Deontay Burnett in 2017, Juju in 2015, Nelson Aguilar in 2014, Leon Woods in 2012 and 2011. You took the over. 84.1% of listeners took the over. And my God. Amon Ross St. Brown averaged 6.8 catches per game. He qualifies. Drake London and Tyler Vaughn's had exactly five and a half. So if either one of them... Exactly five and a half. If either one of them had one less catch in the game against Oregon, I would have lost this one. Yes. It's just outstanding. I know. Right there on the edge. (laughs) It gives you the over um, and a uh, a huge, huge couple of points for you. Uh, Because, by the way, I didn't mention it. uh, Regular season games in the um, over-under worth one point... The season predictions were two points. Mm, okay. So, just a little heads up. Uh, last over under from our season predictions uh, was uh, Michael Muda on, on Twitter, who says over under four and a half, 400 yard passing games by Keaton Slovis. Oof. Slovis had four in 2019. You took the under. I took the under. 16% of listeners took the over. Only 16%. Yeah. Um, it was way under. He had zero. Yeah, I honestly, honestly, if Michael had put this at 1.5, I would have taken that over. 
like in an instant. If Michael had put it at 0.5, I would have taken that over in an instant. So it is wild to me that he didn't even have one 400-yard passing game. Yeah. Um, I, I was pulling up the stats, and I, I pulled it up expecting there to be one or two that I just didn't think about. Yeah. Um, I think it was going to be zero, but zero. There you go. So, for the season predictions, Alicia, you went 8 of 14, uh, which I guess is, what, 3 of 7? Mm-hmm. Um, good it? job. There. 4 of 7. Yeah. I can't do math. <laughs> I also did 8 of 14. Um, in terms of points, for the year, you went, everyone had a possible score of 45 points. We assumed that you played in every week. If you didn't, uh, you didn't get a, a prorated score or anything like that. So 45 points were the maximum points for the entire season. Lisa, you had 26. I had 21. Does that make me the champion? For us to? No, because, and, and this is what... This is the absolute. Uh, no, BS hold, hold on, here. hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, yeah, D- am, am I the winner between, between you, and you and I? Allegedly, but again, no, there's an li- asterisk li- no, on this season. No, no, no. There is an answer here, Michael. There is an answer here. It is the it is a binary choice here. Yes or no? Did I win the over under this season? Maybe I'm non-binary. <laughs> well, I identify as a winner because. I had 26 points. You had 21. I won. Remember that first week. Remember week one. You got so cocky. You were like, oh, I'm so far ahead. It's already over. Blah, blah, blah. Let me explain how she won. Mm -hmm. She won because the UCLA week, the week that I was practically on a freaking deathbed uh, and I couldn't breathe and I was coughing every 12 seconds because I was dying of COVID. (laughs) Even she, you were not. She but okay. went six and zero oh on uh, on over unders, and I went zero oh and six. She, I did not participate in the podcast. She I was the only one that she did all the work. Don't you think it's a little conspicuous? You know, you know, you know what though? You know what though? You gave me three over unders to choose from, and I got all of them right. So. Regardless of what you were doing, of of what uh, of of how you were You're faring in life, the only person in the entire game who went six and zero that week. Yeah, because I'm I'm that good apparently. Okay. Even though yeah. I too was fighting through COVID symptoms, even though I too was having a rough time, I still prevailed. Yeah. Whatever. Um. Cue the Rocky music. Shout out to the UCLA. Week um, participants who went uh, five and six, uh, five of six, uh, David Orange County, Jack Yonatan, uh, top Trojan fan, Trinace on the West Side, and Whiskey Helps all went five of six. Whiskey Helps, best name, no offense to all the other best names out there in the Rapat uh, family, but Whiskey Helps, that is an outstanding name, and I endorse that message. There you go. Uh, the preseason predictions winner, uh, it is a trio between Adam Bradford, Johnny in Alaska, and L.A. Fred, all of whom had 12 of 14 points. See, this is the thing, though. We can we battle between ourselves, but like we're we, we are like handicapped in, in golf. Like we are we are playing on on um, 
amateur in uh, in FIFA. We are playing at like twenty percent on uh, on on F one. These these people out here, Adam and Johnny and and Fred, they're the ones playing on world class. They're the ones who are absolutely dominating, and that's awesome to see. Hundred percent. Let's get to the season long leaderboard. I'm gonna read it in reverse order. Tied for twentieth. Me with twenty one points. Mm-hmm. Uh, tied for sixth. Alicia with 26 points. Mm-hmm. And now we get into the top five. In fifth place with 27 points, Sean from Mid-City-ish. Good job. Very good. nice. Very nice. Great, great, great year. Great effort. In fourth place, from the greatest city in the world, Chicago, Paul. Powell. I wish I knew how to say that. Powell. Powell. 28 points. Paul? Sure. I'll go with Paul. Well done, Paul from Chicago. In, I like it. Insanely good score. Yes. Uh, third place, our good friend, L.A. Fred. The one, the only, L.A. Fred. 29 points. Well done. Well done, indeed. And at least here, we have a tie. Oh, buddy. A tie for first place. With 30 points, this is how close it was. Uh, the top five all decided by a point apiece. Uh, 30 points. A tie between Ryan from Arizona and Yoni slash Jonathan. 30 points. Well done. Y- you guys, insanely good. Aced it. Aced it. Every single week it felt like Ryan and Yoni were right there. Right there. In the yes. discussion. Yes. Congrats to you guys. Uh, we are, I am lifting my Dayquil and my jar of honey to you. I'm lifting my cup of coffee as well. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, and we look forward to seeing what you guys can do next year in a full season. Uh, that doesn't have an asterisk in which you can beat me on some little <laughs> false premise. Oh, is that, is that what we're running with? We're running with an asterisk. Yes. yes. Okay. All right. No asterisk for Ryan and Yoni and L.A. Fred and, <laughs> and all those guys. But all right. Your victory. My victory is an Clearly tainted. Yes, clearly. Clearly. All right. Let's get the back. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, because my throat is not too great, you are going to be doing the reading this week. It is It is my job. I'm the, the student in the classroom that just got called on and has to uh, read out loud in front of the class. Will this be popcorn reading? Yes, except I will be the only one reading instead of popping it around to sure. other people. By the way, we did get a bunch of uh, voicemails. Um, thank you guys for calling into the rant line and calling into our, our voicemail line. 213-373-1872 is the phone number. We will still go through those calls. Um, I don't know if there's a montage in there, um, but we're still going to go through those calls. uh, And anything that we can listen to that is still relevant, we'll still play on the episode uh, going forward. Um, This week was just so difficult putting together this episode. They weren't able to go through all of those dozens of calls, but we will still do that. So uh, there still is a chance that you you will make the, the podcast uh, with your voicemail from the last couple of weeks. Yeah, but in the, min- in the meantime, we'll go with a text message from Corey. It says, hi, Michael and Alicia. This is Corey, Cameron from Frisco, Texas's dad. Hi, Corey. 
uh, from Henderson, Nevada. I hope you are both feeling better. And yes, I even missed you, Michael. I have two questions for you. Uh huh. You're just being nice. <laughs> just, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, now that USC has opted out of the bowl game, do you think it might have anything to do with the fact that Helton is trying to save his own behind, knowing that if we lose again, which would be very likely, he would be gone? Um, I'll answer that straight up. I don't. I do not think that is the case. Uh, I don't think losing in a bowl game when you have under 60 scholars, like the excuses would have been already built in there. I don't think that was going to have any bearing on whether or not USC was going to keep or fire Helton. So we've already gone over that. But number two, since our offensive line cannot run block and cannot pass block, would it at least be a positive and job saving move for Helton to dump Tim Drevno? Thanks for your thoughts and knowledge. Fight out. Yeah, Drefno's got to go. I, I just, I just got to put that out there. Like, I, I, the, the offensive line has not been good enough to warrant him still being employed this long. A, B, I, I, they've, they've gone so all in on recruiting uh, offensive linemen for the air raid system. Why don't you get an offensive line coach that um, thrives in that area? I I absolutely agree. I think the number one thing that USC could do this offseason to improve the team would be to go out and find a really good offensive line coach. I don't know who that offensive line coach is, and I don't think there's a chance in hell that USC does that move. Um, I think that Tim Drevno, and I want to just put out straight here, I would like USC to make a move, but I think that Tim Drevno is coming out of year two as the full-time offensive line coach, I think he gets a pass uh, from a from a sort of hiring and firing perspective. Certainly, from my understanding of like who Clay Helton is, I don't think he's going to dump Drevno after twenty twenty after this twenty twenty season. Tim Drevno can claim that he has produced a first round pick in Austin Jackson. He can claim he has produced a potential first round pick in Elijah Vera Tucker. He can claim a lot of things. Now, again, I want to reiterate, I don't buy any of that bull crap. I have no interest in seeing USC's offensive line continue as it is. But I think USC absolutely would make the case, and I don't think they would be entirely wrong on this, even if I disagree, that you're better off going into year three for the first time with an offensive line coach than sticking out with us, than trying to make a change. Um, I don't agree with that standpoint, but I'm telling you right now that's going to be the way that the decision is 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 more than likely made. So don't hang your hat on that p- possibly happening. All right, but we'll move on to a Slack message from uh, Steve over on the uh, Patreon Slack channel. How is Kyle Ford's rehab going? If he can get completely healthy, the prospect of him teamed up with Drake London, Brew McCoy, and Gary Bryant Jr. is enough to make any Trojan fan impatient during the offseason. Do you think he'll be able to fulfill his potential? Well, uh, Steve, we have seen, and I know you've now seen the video of Kyle Ford on the uh, on the the treadmill. So he looks like he's he's going pretty well. Uh, you got to believe that by twenty twenty he'll be ready to go. I think the concern now with Kyle Ford is that he's had multiple injuries, and that doesn't bode well for athletes, even if they're able to recover from from one or the other. So uh, hopefully that offensive that that wide receiver group is a uh, you know stocked up there with uh, with Ford and London McCoy and, and Gary Bryan I think there's a lot to be excited about there but you know we'll see if on we'll see on Kyle Ford when we get there right yeah I, I think Kyle Ford is gonna fit in just nicely um with with Alan Ron the most likely to uh you know obviously go on to the NFL there 
I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with, with Tyler Vaughn's. Uh, we talked about it the other day off air that Tyler Vaughn's is, is such an interesting case because I don't think that he's ever going to be able to improve his draft stock. I think he just is what he is. He's a sixth round guy, late round guy, probably, um, who can make incredible catches, but he's got his physical limitations. Um, he's a great college receiver. I I don't think he's going to be that guy in the pros. Um, there's a possibility he could look at it and say, hey, I can come back again. Why don't I just make the most of, of my time as the man uh, in college and, and, and come back and do it all over again? Um, well, and take hold of every USC receiving record. He that's could on absolutely the books. do that. And, and I'm not saying that he'd look at it selfishly um, and, and think that, but like. But he would. I mean, not that, not that that would be selfish, but like he could have all of those he, records just he by coming back. Could, yes. Um, but, but he would also be taking advantage of a situation in which he is very good at what he does, right? Um, but I don't know when you're a guy who, like, do you still want to be in school after so many yeah, years? Yeah, like, I mean, uh, like, at that point, do you just, you just try to see what happens in the NFL, even if it's if it's going to be an uphill battle. Well, you're like, not you're not getting any know. younger. You could yeah. get an, an injury that prevents you from even having a chance at at making a, oh, your way in the NFL. So, I wouldn't blame him at all for leaving. Uh, but I like you. I I would be skeptical about whether or not he's going to be a high draft pick or anything like that. But at the same time, I I, I wouldn't begrudge anybody to to you know shoot their shot in that he's right, yeah. he's done his time at USC like he he has spent five years everything you could have asked at for. USC yeah. yeah so I don't think he owes USC anything I think if he comes back he should do it for his own personal reasons the two that I can think of are one he can take over all the record record books and two he can have another year of uh of education to get his master's or to get whatever else that he wants to from an educational degree standpoint. And if that's going to be the thing that uh, that furthers him in, in his life, then I think that would be great. But if he wants to go take his chance at, at, at being an NFL player, I think that would make a lot of sense for him too. Uh, let's go to another question from Steve. Do you feel there are players likely to enter the transfer portal besides McGrath? Smarky Step, perhaps? Jacob Lichtenstein? Yeah, I think that there's going to be a lot of people enter the transfer portal because of the roster situation. I think this year is going to be so unprecedented. There's just it's going to be like a jumble. Um because everyone's got to get their roster down. Um you're going to see a bunch of dudes um take the opportunity to either want to come back and maybe that they'll be told at, at their current school that they can't. Um and that's going to happen in SC just like it's going to happen in every other school. It could literally be anybody. It could be Marquis Step. It could be someone like Jacob Lichtenstein who just hasn't gotten his opportunity for a million reasons, right? So maybe he's a prototypical guy who does go into the transfer portal. I, I don't know. I just, I just wouldn't be surprised when it's going to be names that you remember. I, I, I would be skeptical of someone like Lichtenstein going because I think he will be able to have the chance uh, to, to integrate himself. I guess the relationship there with Vic Soto will matter. I, I can't speak on that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Marquis Step left. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if if Stephen Carr left. Uh, you know, just knowing the state of USC's running game, 
Keenan Kristen will also be a guy that you're just looking at going. Any one of those guys can leave if they see the uh, the, the pastures greener on the other side. Um, there are a lot of DBs that USC has that haven't gotten run yet who could decide to, to leave. Um, I'm trying to think of where there are any other log jams. Um, yeah, I would, I would say DBs. I mean, ITS could go. ITS was on Twitter being a little bit weird the other day where he his he had retweeted McGrath's uh, transfer post. He had retweeted uh, Abdul Malik McLean's transfer post, and then he put uh, he tweeted something like New Beginnings or something like that. So ITS is definitely someone you got to keep an eye out for, but there are other DBs as well. Uh, let's move on to another Slack message we got from MC in Palmdale. It says, hey, Ren of Troy, now I get why some high school now I get why some high school seniors held out to sign in February. USC just killed future recruitments again from wanting to join a team with such a poor, embarrassing performance. This program has to change to be that Power 5 team it used to be. I want to jump in here. I I don't think SC's loss to Oregon was embarrassing, Uh, especially from a recruiting perspective. Well, it was was embarrassing from a fan perspective, but I don't think from a recruiting perspective. If you're a recruit, I don't think you look at that and say, Oh, that's embarrassing for SC. Um, I think if you're a recruit and Gavin Morris is in your ear like he was on Twitter saying that USC was on three days of prep with 55 guys and and basically screwed over you, by the Pac-12, that could be You can absolutely buy into that stuff. Yeah, yeah 100%. Uh, I, I think what was embarrassing about that game was that Oregon, the guy who had beaten out, the, the school that had beaten out SC for all these guys, came on Thibodeau, um, uh, you know, Justin Flo, so on and so forth. All these dudes that, that should be Trojans in a, in a in a perfect world, right? That they won the Pac-12 championship at SC's uh, Coliseum. That stings, one hundred percent. I don't know that it stings for a recruit like it does for a fan, however. So, so I don't necessarily think that it was embarrassing, especially when it was a one touchdown game. Like it was a it was a good hard fought game. Um, that I think Oregon was clearly the better team, but like I I don't think that it's embarrassing. Or there's like a massive egg on SC's face. Um, it was just insulting and embarrassing are two different things for me. It was embarrassing in the context of everything else that fans have had to put up with. But recruits are looking at it from a different perspective. And uh, and I and I if, don't. Think if you're it, Corey Foreman, you're looking at it and saying, "Hey, when I get out there, we're not going to do happen. that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so MC also has a question. Maybe this is football 101, but I'm still trying to learn football facts and strategies. Please explain what the statement USC has won three games against teams that are under 500 means. Um, I always love when we get sort of these basic questions because it sort of causes you to pause and think about the things that we take for granted that are just the way we talk in, in football. So just really quickly, um, under 500 just means that you are... Uh, your win percentage, and that win percentage is expressed as a decimal instead of a percent. So 500 means 50%, which means that USC law, USC won three games against teams that had a losing record, essentially, because they're under 500, i.e. they've won less than 50% of their games, i.e. losing record. So that just hope that makes sense to you, MC, uh, and thank you for the questions over on Slack. Uh, we got another message from Evan on Slack. Most people, including myself, Think that if USC hires Urban Meyer, they will be on the same level as Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State every year, and would deliver at least one national title. What else? Who else do you think we could say the same about? And either way, what are your true thoughts about Jack Del Rio as head coach? I've been hearing his name pop up. I know Michael has thoughts. 
Uh, no to Jack Del Rio. Uh, we've talked <laughs> about this before. Jack Del, and I, I hate making this caveat because I think I always worry that people are going to misinterpret what I'm saying, uh, like everyone does about the whole extend extend Clay Elton thing. Um, of all the USC, quote unquote USC guys, Jack Del Rio is, I think, objectively USC's best option that doesn't make him a top 30 option overall you know what i mean like like jack del rio should not be usc's next coach the best of the worst hires that usc could make yes now if someone put a gun to your head and said you had to hire a usc guy then by all means hire jack del rio that doesn't make it a good hire would jack del rio be an upgrade on clay helton i believe so yes Yes, but like, but it, that doesn't mean much. Is, no is it going to solve the problems that that people are upset about? No, no not absolutely. At all. Uh, and and to Evan's question, he completely exposes the the problem with college football right now. There's nobody. Urban Meyer is the only guy that I would bet on to win a national championship at USC or otherwise. That's the nature of college football right now. The only teams I'm willing to bet on. In any given year to win a national championship are Clemson, Ohio State, uh, Alabama, and that's it. That's literally it. And Ohio State, I'm not even sure if that's because of Ryan Day or if that's because, of, because, the, of, Ryan. because of the program that Urban Meyer set up there that's Correct. still lingering. So. Yes. And, you know, I I don't trust I don't trust Texas A&M, and they have a national title winning coach. I, I, I don't trust Georgia. I, I don't trust uh, Notre Dame. Like, I think that a lot of those teams, A&M, Georgia, Notre Dame, can can be like perennial top five, top six, top seven teams. But the gap between those teams and those top three is still massive. Look look at the, the cultural playoff right now. There's no one in the world who thinks that Notre Dame has a chance. Nope. But yet we can all make arguments for the, the other three. And that's just how college football is. And so when you look at it, yes, Urban Meyer is the only person in in the world, aside from Nick Saban and Davo Sweeney, that I think can come in here uh, and win a national championship with USC um, that I'd be willing to bet on. Like, I However, wouldn't even bet on Pete Carroll coming back to USC no, and winning a national no, championship. No. However, the game is... Uh, the, the the coach hiring game, well, yes, have- Alabama hired Nick Saban after LSU, and yes, Ohio State hired uh, Urban Meyer after um, after Florida, but like those opportunities are rare. So you have to hire the next Urban Meyer, yeah. the next Nick Saban, the next Dabo Swinney, right? Uh, mind you. Which is Clay what Helton, USC tried to do. Clay Helton would be the next Dabo Swinney, but yeah. that's a whole side plot. Um, and so... I think that you can go out there and you can get you can make an A plus hire with your your Matt Campbells, your Luke Fickles, but like those are just buying lottery tickets. And that's the sad part about college football is that you're buying lottery tickets. What you need to do is be Ohio State and be buying lottery tickets when you already have a really nice house and you have a really well paying job and you're not sort of depending on striking it big with that lottery so that right. when when it does come, you're already sort of settled and it doesn't really matter as much. Oh, this is a terrible analogy. But the point of it is that Ohio State has been good for so long because their program is that good. I think that USC and a lot of, you know, I look at like 
Auburn and I look at uh, Texas and I look at a lot of these other places where it's like, do you think that solving your problem or like you look at the NFL and you see like the Jets talking like as though they'll get Trevor Lawrence and then everything will be OK. Well, no, you have a whole franchise system that you need to put in a in a good spot first and then get yourself over the top. So, um, yeah, I think that Urban Meyer is the is, is one of those rare guys who would put you over the top from the get go. But that's because Urban Meyer is only going to join your team if he thinks you have those things readily in place or capable of being put in place quickly to begin with. Right. And then insert optics in the problem of yeah, I mean, there's hiring whole, Urban Meyer. And we've, all ta- we've talked about Urban Meyer before, but yes. yeah. yeah. But right. uh, next message from yeah. Shannon. Okay, we got a Patreon message from Shannon. Just finished the Car Cash Pac-12, Car Cast Pac-12 title disaster. I don't think your mood was unexpected and was justified. You said a lot of what the rest of us are feeling. I think the point you're trying to make, if USC should decide to make a change, it, the point you're trying to make is if USC should decide to make a change. Not that it would be different, but at least it would bring hope. With the current staff, it's pretty clear that this is their ceiling. They're not going to go uh, winless, but have they have the ability to have a losing season too. However, it's impossible to see this team being great or even really good. No top 10 finishes, and we're supposed to be content with USC being ranked under 20. We finally got an administration without ties to USC, something many wanted, but as I feared, they have very little interest beyond academics and lack the fire in the belly every Trojan fan has for the heritage and tradition of the program. I appreciate all of you and what's his name (laughs) uh, do, and I hope you both get back well real soon. Prayers from the Aloha State and Merry Christmas. Hopeless in Javi. Thank you for the pronunciation guide, Shannon. Um, thoughts on that one, Michael? I mean, for, first and foremost, thank you so much for all the messages that we've got uh, that are uh, giving us um, well wishes as far as our, our health and everything like that. And uh, we very much appreciate all of that. But um, I think that that Shannon does pretty much hit on the, on the, the malaise that's around the program, even though... I, I don't think this is a Mike Bone problem necessarily. I don't even think Who? it's a Carol <laughs> Mike Bone. Uh I don't even think it's a Carol Fult problem necessarily. I think that USC has institutional issues that um that need to get sorted out. And uh I, I it would be nice for USC at the top to have somebody who who was really, really, really committed to fixing football first. But I also can't argue that USC should be focused on fixing football first when USC has so many other problems. There's so many problems throughout the university to fix, A. There's so many different people who have different visions for the university, B. And C, there's just so many things to fix in the football program also. Like, there's just, it's a, it's a very difficult spot. And it's sad because there's such an easy fix. And it just feels like no one can just agree to all collectively press the button. Oh, it would just—it's—it's it's like a nuke that that has twenty-eight keys instead of one, yeah, or, or instead of two keys, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, couldn't they have just gotten a version that just had two keys? Yeah. Or, or I mean, it's—it's it's just, I think USC is frozen in in fear almost, where like you said, if. If somebody was just bold enough or brave enough to just say, screw it, we're just going to do this, it would turn out better for USC. But I don't I don't but, blame USC for being so you, frozen. Because when you compound the whole issue as outside of Urban Meyer, 
they're all lottery like, tickets. Yeah. Like that makes it scary. Yeah, right? I, I get it. I absolutely get it. So I don't think it's as easy to to pull that trigger as 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 we'd all like to believe. I mean, they that they, it is. they took too long. They they missed Jed Fish. I mean, I mean, how are they going to do without Jed? You know, the the pool of of great candidates for USC to hire is that much smaller today, Michael. All right, let's move on to a Slack message from Alex. What's your all-too-early take on next season? Should we be prepared for a long winter of discontent as we prepare for more empty Hilton promises, a potential regression from Keaton, it's too wet, too dry, maybe try running the ball, Slovis, or are we not being optimistic enough about the 21-22 USC team that's about to surprise us all? I have one thought here. I need to see what the roster is. Hmm. Because good point. if everybody leaves, if IPM leaves, if all the guys who could leave leave, I expect Talano Hufanga to leave. I expect Amonara St. Brown to leave. I expect Elijah Vera Tucker to leave. Those three. Those are your big three that you can ex- just chalk them up, assume they're gone. But it's the next tier of guys that have an opportunity to come back. Your Marlon Tuipolotus, your... Isaiah Pullum House, um, those guys, if they come back, you can start to feel really good about next season again. But if they're gone, what? Then you you have the issue where those two poor recruiting classes suddenly become the forefront because you have a glaring hole of talent um, that you're going to have to fill from. But and, if you're and filling, that's that's a problem. If you're filling that from a top ten class from this year, I mean, you can you can bridge that. If you gap. can find some freshmen, for yeah, sure. it's yeah. it's just and and the transfer portal. This is the this is the thing is that we could be looking at a team in August that is extremely different, just because of the guys that have left, but also guys that have come in. Whether we're talking about freshmen or potential transfer transfer portal additions, I mean, USC already added the the former top 100 guy from from Alabama for the defensive line, so that'll help. Uh, we've already seen that Texas has a, a former four-star safety who's transferring out of Texas, who Craig Niver recruited to Texas, and maybe he's somebody who steps right in for Talano Hafanga. You know, all of these things, it's, it's so very hard to say. My take on next season is that it will be exactly the same because USC is medium, and this is purgatory, and it's just going to be another another Groundhog's Day season. And maybe it'll transition one way slightly up or slightly down, but it'll essentially follow the same pattern. That's the only thing we can count on at this point. All right, we got a tweet from Ryan. I know a change at head coach is obvious, but it looks more and more that it may not happen yet again. So if that doesn't happen, I'm hoping that Harrell gets poached away from USC and we can reset somewhat on offense, including the running game. Wondering your guys' thoughts. Um, I don't know if you have thoughts on this, Michael, but I have very, very, uh, I, have, I have a very strong take on this one. Be careful what you wish for. Because I'm not sure who USC is going to bring in to replace Harrell. Um, I think it would make more sense for USC to bring in another air raid coach because now they've changed the personnel to entirely to to benefit the air raid. And number two, I mean, the the one of the problems that USC has had, and we all know that USC has a ceiling under under Clay Helton and, and we just know where it is, but we all still want to have as enjoyable a season as possible. 
And one of the things that USC has done is they've changed something every season, something big every season, so that every season you're ending up with a, well, this is year one under this defensive coaching staff, so I guess we'll have to live through some growing pains and then maybe we'll see what they're like. But then going into year two of this defensive coaching staff, you're then going to uproot your offense and have to go through, well, this is year one under this new offensive coaching staff, so now we're just going to have to live through some growing pains there. No, you keep Graham Harrell around if you can, and you go into year three and you hope that things get better. It, it, I think blowing the, blowing the staff up again is not the answer. We know what the answer is. It starts at the top. The quickest way to get that move happened is to stop making all these lesser changes that don't make a difference or that set you back. So the way I look at it, I think the offensive explosion in college football that we've seen the last couple of years, I think it is so prevalent that I don't think that we can really say, well, will they find somebody better than Graham Harrell? There's dudes out there. There's absolutely guys out there that can, I mean, the college football has completely changed. 40-point offenses are a dime a dozen right now, and SC can't reliably score 40 points. And so I, I'm i okay with Graham Harrell. But I is, have no issues with Graham Harrell. Is, but. is Graham Harrell the issue? I mean, I know that we're, everyone's frustrated with Graham Harrell, but quite frankly, you can bring in Jed Fish or, or you know, uh, uh, Cliff no. Kingsbury or whoever, if this offensive line is the same as it is, then I don't think it's going to make a difference. Well, well sure, and, and which is the crux of the problem, too is that I don't think you need to bring in someone who is an air raid um you know guy um you need to s- hire bill bill oh my gosh it's not Bedenbaugh. it's Bedenbow Bedenbow yeah. hire hire bill Bedenbow as your as offensive, offensive coordinator coach. I don't care who calls the plays he's your offensive sure. coordinator but his job is to fix USC's offensive line there, there you, you go, go. I I I'd, I'd be down for that but no no the the way I look at it is that like Everyone throws the ball now. Alabama throws the ball more than anyone else in the country. Like, that's just how it is, right? Alabama, and we saw it with LSU last year. Alabama has Steve Sarkeesian running their offense. No, but this is my point. Remember when when Sark came in and everyone complained about that offense because it was too spread-like? Well, guess who's over at Alabama now being on the Broyles award list? Exactly. You know. Yes. Um, And he looks like the greatest offensive coordinator in the history of the world. Yes. Um, and so, like, what I'm saying is I, I, you need to find a coach that is willing to push the ball up and down the field. Um, that doesn't necessarily have to be an air raid guy. But you, need you know to, who's available? You need to find – hold on. You need to find someone that has the ability to get something out of the offensive line. And I know that you've recruited for, for air raid um, offensive linemen, and they haven't yet – seen the field because SC has still had, uh, you know, veterans on the offensive line that have been, you know, from previous regimes. Um, and so the the jury is still out on how that's going to be, even though they're a bunch of three-star guys, but maybe they fit a system that actually works with, with the air raid. Who knows? We'll see. But, and I'm not going to hold my breath either way, but you just need to find something there's so many offensive minds in college football. There has to be somebody that can get more out of this team consistently. But is that somebody, is it worth finding a different somebody for a year 
I don't upending know. I, I, your offensive system again. When, when Clay's not the ultimate answer. When you answer? already know that Clay's not right. the ultimate answer. So what's That's the a, point? It's, it's a fair question. Yeah. Putting I, on it, dealing with another buyout, dealing with another new contract, dealing with I, all of these I things. I just it. People talk about stop rearranging decks on the uh, uh, chairs on the deck of the Titanic and all that kind of stuff, and I agree. But like that's why I I have no time for this Harold conversation because y- you could bring in, you know, who's the greatest offensive mind in the history of of the game? I don't know. You bring in Bill Walsh and you still is not going to succeed. Well, I, I guess the question is: Is the team not scoring forty points because of Graham Harrell, or are they not scoring forty points? Because of a major flaw in the offense, which is the offensive line, right? Like, I think that it's absolutely the offensive line, but it also, you can definitely say that Graham Harrell's not done enough to subvert the problem, whether it be by finding a fix or whether it be by lessening the the negative impact of the offensive line, whatever it is. But but I, I, I see your point. I, I see the, the idea of like, Going through a major renovation when the foundation is cracked is a little. I just don't see the point, and I, and right. I get. I think this is people turning their attention from the thing that they can't control, which is everyone knows that USC just needs to get a new head coach, but we all know it's not going to happen. To the next possible thing that they can complain about, which is the state of the offense and how disappointing that offense has been, and I get that. I get that. There's a little bit of grasping at straws here and, and and scapegoating to a point. But again, I think getting rid of Harold or being happy that he gets poached away. I always think of when Sark got hired by Washington and how I was excited because I was annoyed with Sark's play calling at the time. And I thought, oh, good, USC can get somebody better. And then they brought in Jeremy Bates and I had to eat all the crow. So I think about that, but I also think about what even is the point? There, there is no point to making that change. You're just gonna set your back yourself back another year, and at least going into to 2021 with Harrell and junior year Keaton and whatever else you have with this offense, you know there are, there's worse state of being to be in. But let's go to a tweet from Mark. Honest question: Does the university value the football program anymore? Seems like some very obvious changes, like parting ways with Clay Helton, would be paramount to success on the gridiron if it was still important. Um, my simple answer to that is, did the university ever care about the football program? Because I always remember the story that Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com tells about, uh, I think it was Chris Carlisle, talking about USC's strength room and how they're winning these national titles with with subpar equipment and USC basically saying to him, well, you did it with subpar equipment, so why do you need new stuff? Like, has the university really ever valued the program? Yeah, I mean, you can look at it a couple of different ways. Um, certainly, I, I think that this goes back to what we talked about. There, there's too many cooks, um, and everyone kind of has their own vision for what USC as a university is. So are there some people who don't value the pro- the program enough? Probably. Um, I wouldn't say that SC doesn't value the program uh, as a whole. It's just a matter of getting everyone on the same page to agree what that value is. Because even if that value is not high, it's still high enough to fire Clay Helton. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. And I'm I'm not trying to make excuses for 
the people in charge, because I, I do think if, if the people in charge at USC valued the program more, then they would make the bold steps, take take the make the difficult choice to just go ahead and say, screw this, we're going to change it and be better for it. Um, I, I do think that would that would happen. I'm not trying to let them off the hook. I just question whether or not we're mistaking success during the Pete Carroll era for anybody caring more about the football program. No, you just got lucky to have hired one of the best coaches of a generation with your fourth choice. Like, you lucked into Pete Carroll. You didn't do anything to support him at USC to a degree that you would that would make you think that uh the success of that era had to do with the program as opposed to the head coach was that good. Uh but we'll go to a tweet from Yonatan. Will USC sign those big three fish for the twenty twenty one recruiting class? He's referring to Corey Foreman, Rajon Davis, and Sarah Wright. Uh can you give this season a rating from one to ten? So we'll address the the recruiting question first. Um I don't know. I think uh, USC is in good position with all of them. Certainly, it seems that way. Uh, and and again, if USC is able to grab those three guys, those are you know three of the top players in California for this year. Um, we'll know by January second on uh, on on Foreman and Wright at the very least. Rajon Davis is going to sign in February, but it's a good you know recently he decommitted from LSU, so that's a good sign for USC potentially bringing him in. Uh, those are big game-changing guys. Those are the the kinds of tentpole kind of prospects that even if you've had a bad recruiting class, even if you have uncertainty around your coach, uh, if you have those guys uh, in your program, those are the kind of guys that could attract a head coach who says, well, I want to coach those guys. Those are I can build around them. So it's very important that USC does sign them. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm no... Uh, I'm no prophet or anything like that. Like, I couldn't tell you for sure. It looks like USC's in good spot. That's all I can say. It's better than the alternative at this point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, they're in better spot now than they were, uh, you know, last year or earlier this year on any of those guys. As for giving the season a rating from 1 to 10, you had any thoughts on this, Michael? I'd go with a 5. Ha- <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd, yeah. So... There was a question that uh, our, our pal Ryan Abraham of USCFootball.com posted. Was this season a, a what, what do you call it, a failure? A failure, yeah. And I, I don't think it was a failure. They went 5-1 and one during, during a pandemic. Uh, they were a touchdown away from winning the Pac-12 championship game. I guess you could say a drop touchdown from Bruce McCoy if he catches that ball. Um, if Talanaro Hufanga makes a tackle, then it's a, it's a field goal away. Like They were in that game... Um, they obviously lose it um, and, and get outmanned there in, in the trenches, um, and that obviously stings and all that kind of stuff. But given what could have happened this season, I think it was. I don't think it's a failure. I don't think it's a failure by any means. Um, is it a, an overwhelming success? No. Like I, I don't think that there's. I don't think that if something is not a failure, that means that it's it was a success. I think SC was satisfactory. They were like six out of ten. They were they were, they were fine. Um, the the problem for Clay Helton is that fine is not good enough for him because he's got to prove that he's the guy that's going to win championships for USC. And SC didn't prove that. Um, SC being fine is not good enough for what he needs to show. So 
they were fine. I think if you, if you take out the Clay Helton-ness and you look at it this objectively, the team was fine. Fine is not good enough. Well, and you can't take out the Clay Helton-ness right. of it. So, yeah. All right. We're going to end on a tweet from LJ. What changes does the Pac-12 need to make to be respected? I feel like we are the Power 5 conference that isn't viewed as powerful. Uh, that is correct, LJ. That is absolutely correct. You know, you're talking about SC needing to change their perspective, how they value football and how they value sports. <sighs> SC's fix is rather simple. The Pac-12 is never changing. The conference as itself views itself as an Ivy League slash Big Ten combo. Uh, and even the Big Ten, you could you could say that, you know, they there's criticism there and, and whatnot, right? But the, the Pac-12 is on the West Coast, where the fervor for sports is not the same as it is elsewhere. Uh, these are colleges that view themselves as academic institutions above everything else. Universities that sign off on literally everything that Larry Scott does. This has nothing to do with Larry Scott. He is hired to do a job, and he keeps getting raises and, and, and promotions. What does that tell you that tells you that they like what he's doing? Which means they're not going to suddenly change overnight. This is just is what the Pac-12 is. Shrug. It, it, uh, it, it just is what it is. Well, okay, so here's what the Pac-12 can do to be more respected. And by this, we mean the Pac-12 presidents who are the ones who hire Larry Scott to do his job poorly and give him raises to do his job poorly. Fire Larry Scott, bring in somebody new. Show that you actually give a damn. Okay, I'm just... I agree with you. I agree with you that this is just like us sitting here saying that USC should fire Clay Hilton. They're not going to. You're telling a guy that's into cars to, to be into carpentry. Like, that's just not who that person is. No, what I'm telling the guy who's into cars to focus on the cars and hire somebody competent to be the carpenter. Like, Larry Scott is the guy who's into cars hiring, uh, uh, you know, a guy who does upholstery, uh, upholstery to do uh, the carpentry work in the house. Like, it's it's just a mismatch. they don't value mismatch. the carpentry. Well, but that's, but that's the thing is that you they, don't... They, they can't think of the you carpentry don't, you don't focus on the cars. You don't have to value the carpentry... To get a recommendation from somebody who knows a good carpenter who is actually competent in their job and bring that person in. We have taken this this damn analogy as far as it will go. My point on this, Michael, is that the Pac-12 presidents can start to take things seriously by by beginning with with the 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 point of find somebody more competent in their job that, than Larry Scott is. Start to put the money in the conference where it actually has value instead of wasting it in San Francisco or wasting it in all of the other different places that Larry Scott wastes it. Just start there. And quite frankly, the the way that the Pac-12 gets more respect is just to be better on the football field when it comes to football. Like, like USC needs to be better on the football field by hiring a better head coach, by yeah, putting every, more resources every into school, it. Every school, every program. Every school. Yeah. But it's funny, though, because, you know, three, four years ago, we were sitting here saying that the Pac-12 was going to be better because they'd upgraded their coaches across the board, which we thought that they had with Kevin Sumlin and with... Um, with well, but, but before that, Rich Rod and... Yeah, Rich Rod and all those guys. Well, they Mike failed. Leach. They failed. So what happens? You need to have your programs go out and make good hires and 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 have hits on on the 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 guys that they bring in to run the football programs. It's really that simple. Uh, the the problem for the Pac-12 more than anything is that USC hasn't done that. 
But the moment USC gets more competitive, you the rising tide sort of lifts all boats kind of perspective. If USC and Oregon were actually head-to-head in this conference, actually competing at a high, high level for each other, then everybody else would be forced to get better. But USC's failed, and so that's where USC is at. Like, I think the Pac-12 on a, as a whole needs to get rid of Larry Scott and bring in somebody better. But each individual member of the conference has to do a better job, and it starts with USC. So long as USC isn't doing a better job, you're not going to see the Pac-12 get respected at all. So that's where it uh, where it comes from. Yep, we can we can end there for sure. I have nothing more to say. So all right, uh, thanks for listening, to you guys. Um, hopefully, uh, <laughs> the semi-post-COVID. Uh, episode uh, works out for you guys here as a um, as a means for us at least to tell you guys uh, happy Festivus, Merry Christmas. Uh, I know Hanukkah is is upon it. I mean, uh, in the past at this point, but we hope that you had a happy Hanukkah. Whatever you celebrate, we hope it is fantastic. We hope you guys are staying safe. Uh, seriously, we hope you guys are staying safe. Um, and yeah, we'll be back. Uh, in the new year, and we'll see what we can do uh, in another off-season of USC football, uh, another lengthy one, uh, hopefully one that is less chaotic uh, and maybe a little rosier. Maybe. Hopefully. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. Email address, uh, e- uh Phone number 213 and um yeah you know how to reach us alicia final word the final word is merry as in merry holidays everyone happy celebrating and happy too everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.